Welcome to Alley All Ears, a podcast from the Alley Theater, Houston's theater. Alley All Ears features interviews with directors and designers, playwright Q&As, sneak peeks, and behind-the-scenes information. This week, we focus on classic playwrights featured in our digital season. These conversations with artistic director Rob Melrose and guest dramaturgs focus on August Strindberg, Henrik Ibsen, and Luigi Pirandello. Now sit back, relax, and learn more about these fascinating playwrights and their plays. From our home to yours, Alley All Ears. What inspired you to include the man with the flower in his mouth in this lineup? Yeah, well, no, that's, that's great. Um, so Luigi Pirandello won the Nobel Prize when he was he was alive. And, you know, he's not only a great playwright and someone that, you know, we should study in school and do it in our theaters, but he's also a great novelist, a great um, short story writer. Um, but it's amazing how many Nobel Prize winners, you know, really like the, the, you know, the best writer in the world at the time of, you know, their writing um, that we don't read, that we, we don't remember. And whenever I find, I, I, I discover a Nobel Prize winner um, that, you know, we've kind of forgotten about, we don't read anymore, um, and I pick up their work you kind of read, start reading and you start realize, oh yeah, this is why this person was, you know, such a, such a great writer and so well regarded. This, this person really deserves our attention. And so that, that is definitely the way I feel about Pirandello for, um, for a couple of reasons. Um, one is, um, she's famous in the theater for, um, kind of being the beginning of like meta theater. So his famous, his most famous play is um, six characters in search of an author. And the audience walks into the theater and um, a, a, a company of actors is rehearsing. And as they're rehearsing, all of a sudden these six people come in and um, the director and, and the producer and the stage manager and the actors kind of don't know what to do with, these six characters and they say, well, what are you doing here? And, and it turns out that they are, they're not people, they are characters and they're characters waiting to be written into a play. So kind of the, the double met- meta-ness of it is that, that you're, you're sitting in the audience. First of all, you're, you're not watching a play, you're watching people rehearsing a play. And then you're watching people, human beings come on who aren't people, but they are, they are characters, their ideas and, and and so kind of I mean if you think about it and th- this is written in like 1920 um, so this is before surrealism and deconstruction and all I mean so he's he's like way ahead of his time and and he has other really innovative plays like a play called um, Enrico Quattro or Henry the Fourth about a man who went to a costume party dressed as Henry the Fourth. And um, something fell on his head, and um, he imagined that he was Henry the Fourth, and and they um, and if he saw something like an automobile, um, he, it, it would set, send him into a state of trauma. Um, so, but he's a very wealthy man, so they built a whole castle around him, and they they um, hired uh, actors to pretend to be um, his, 
his guards, his retinue, right? And um, but the moment the play starts, he's actually woken up and he realizes he that 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 he's he is who he is and that he's been living this fiction, but he um he doesn't want to reveal to um everybody that he's caught on um and that and that he's now sane. And it, you know, it's just just an amazing um play about fiction and reality and fa- and madness and and sanity. Um so so he's got these plays that are all about about this aspect. But then he has a book of short stories called uh, um, uh, uh, Novelle per un anno, or, or short stories for a year. He, he was trying to write um, 365 short stories. He only got to 200 and, uh, uh, um, 232. But it's it, the volume, I mean, it's like a phone book. It's, it's that big. And the stories um, are more like little slices of life from um, from Sicily, which is where he was from. He was from a town called Agrigento. And people who go to Sicily wind up going to Agrigento because it's where a lot of the um, Greek temples are when when Sicily was a colony of, of Greece. So there, there are these big, big temples there. But it's also where Pirandello grew up. And his house, his house is now a museum, and it, it it overlooks the Mediterranean. It's it just um, just a gorgeous view, and and so these little stories get it capture the life in in Sicily, but they also um, show his unique perspective on life, and that's that's a lot what um, uh, Mammoth Flower in his mouth. It's 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 a it's a moment in Sicily at a train station. Um, just two strangers talking to each other, but it goes so deep into um, I- into into the meaning of life, which is what I think is so beautiful about it. And with this play, you had the really unique um, opportunity to be both the director and the translator of it. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Um, talk about a little bit about your process, what it was like translating this. Um, and then subsequently to to direct something that you yourself translated. Yeah. Well, I, I love I love translating plays because it really forces me to slow down mm-hmm. and and really account word for word mm-hmm. um, for um, you know for every word word in the play, so that by the time I get into directing it, I really understand why that word is there, why that sentence is there, um, how it contributes to the whole, you know, how, how it's active. And, um, you know, a lot of um, play translators, right, aren't, aren't directors. Mm-hmm. And, and so there, there's, a, there's a double weakness there because they, when they're translating, they're not imagining how it would sound in the mouth of an actor and how it would sound to a um, 21st century audience. Uh, um, my translating teacher in graduate school, um, Paul, Paul Schmidt, used to say, you know, translate means to carry a cross. And, and it's your job to take the ideas and the sentiments and the, the, the music of, you know, uh, 
1920 um, Sicily and uh, an Italian and bring that over to an audience um, in 2021 so so that it it it's got to land on them in a way that makes sense to them um, and it, but but still being true to to what it was in 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 the original so so you know that um, having the the skills of of being in rehearsal all the time and hearing actors speak it's very easy for me to hear mm. well how's this going to sound when the actors say it mm. and then the 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 other thing that's a real um, benefit is because I'm the director, it means when something sounds a little funky um, and and it doesn't ring right, or an actor's tripping over something or it, it, it's clunky, I can change it right in the moment, and, and I do. And we and we we did even on Man with Flowers Mouth. There were there were things um, that we changed right in the moment. There also. Um, you know, there's a moment with one of the actors where he said, oh, I, this line didn't make sense. So I changed it to, you know, to, to this, because that's the only way I could memorize it because, you know, it needed, I I feel like you have a typo there. And I was able to explain, oh no, it's, it's actually not a typo. It's a little, it's a little verbal, um, runway. He's just doing a little, um, what, kind of like what I mean is, you know, just a little something that it that kind of introduces the thought that's, that's what that is. And he didn't, he, he, he hadn't gotten that. But once I was able to explain what that little moment of text was about, then he was like, Oh, great. And then it was never a problem because I was able to explain it to him. Cause I knew, I knew what it was in the Italian. I knew what I translated it into, into English. And even though it looked weird on the page, you know, that, that, that helped him um, launch, launch the whole idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does give you a really interesting perspective, I think, um, being on both sides of it. And I think um, you highlighted a really interesting problem that I think we have in theater with this idea of translation. Like so few directors are trained in translation and so few translators are trained in theater. Yeah. Um, so like kind of with that in mind, what was it about this play that... Um, that uh, what was it about this play that drew you in both as a translator and as a director, knowing that you were going to be able to do this from, from both places? Um, What kind of, what was that spark like for you? Yeah. Well, it's on one hand, it's just a conversation between two people and, and, and for our um, Edward Albee fans. And I know that Allie has lots of Edward Albee fans because of his relationship with, um, with, with the alley, um, you're, you'll, you'll hear, um, kind of a foreshadowing of, um, a Zeus, the, the zoo story, mm. you know, where it, it's, it's two strangers on a park bench and one is kind of provoking the other one. One is more easygoing middle-class guy. The other is someone a little bit more dangerous on the outside. They, they both have that in common. Um, but what's interesting to me, and especially during the, um, pandemic is it's such a play about what's really important in life and what, what's, what's the wonder of being, being alive, even in the simplest things. I mean, you know, the, the, the play, uh, 
it seems like, oh, we're just at a cafe. We're talking about mundane things like missing a train and going to the opera, buying, um, you know, uh, buying packages and put, putting packages in the, in the storage, uh, storage facility. But very soon it starts to go to a much deeper place when they talk about wrapping packages and, and you kind of see the, the man with the flower, um, is describing how the packages are wrapped with this exceptional detail this uh, and this love of every moment of something totally mundane, watching someone wrap a package. What's what's so great about that? But he he gets so much pleasure in the simplest things of life, and I just feel like we all during this pandemic have had to slow way down and and really kind of appreciate. You know, we we've we've had so many things taken away from us. You know, restaurants, theater going to the movie. I mean, you, you name it. Um, but you know, in order to get through, I think we've all had to, you know, uh, count our blessings, so to speak, and just kind of, you know, decide what's, what's great about being alive today. And, and, and I feel like this play just really, um, grapples with that in such a, such a beautiful way. And, and I feel like it, it, it inspires me uh, a lot as as a little a little parable about how we should live our lives and how how we should enjoy our lives. So so for all those reasons, I thought it'd be a, a good thing to share. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the the pandemic, and I'm curious has that um, switching from you know a live a live theater to a digital platform. Um, has your approach to directing changed or pivoted to accommodate that? Um, do you work it, differently knowing that, you know, it's going to be streamed as opposed to in some sort of a live space? Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, we're kind of doing something that's not quite theater, but not quite film. Mm-hmm. It's, it's somewhere, it's somewhere in between and, and, you know, when TV started out, it, it, it was, um, it, it, you know, w- when it was first invented and film was first invented, you know, a lot of films and TV shows looked like filmed theater because that's what people knew. So in some ways, we're back to the beginnings of television and the beginnings of, of film. But uh, on another level, we've got all this technology that we have that they didn't have back then. We've got green screens, we've got, um, you know, video editing and, you know, so we've got everything so much more fluid with sound editing and stuff. So, so um, I've had to really watch a lot of films and, 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 and I, I normally watch a lot of films anyway, but I've, I've been really watching them with a new eye about kind of, well, how did they do that? How did they do that? How, mm-hmm. how did that, that work? But you know it's it's funny because all, all um, man with the flower, half sheet of paper, and uh, the stronger have all been um, contactless, meaning um, the actors um, are have uh, the production department delivers on the actor's porch the camera, the uh, tripod, the lighting tree, the lights the props, the costumes, the uh, mix 
for the the fizzy orange drink, you, you know, um, the orange to cut little orange, you know, orange wedges. And um, the the actors bring it into their house, you know, when when the other person's gone away, and the actors set it all up in their in their living room in their study, and um, and that becomes their their little little studio. And what's kind of cool is um, both both um, you know, well, all three of those projects really look like um, look like little films. I mean, I I really feel like we're able to, you know. Take to imaginally, we take ourselves out of a living room or a or, or or a study and really make it feel like we're in these locations with the green screen. It's been it's been really really rewarding and 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 really fun. Was there anything that surprised you about this rehearsal process? Yeah, well, I think um, just kind of this added level of of um filming and figuring out the angles um also just how i mean i i wasn't i'm not surprised by this at all uh, at all but how how wonderful our actors are on camera right because um you know at, at the hubbard you're projecting your voice and your you know your your movements are 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 have to be seen you know um fifteen rows back you know twenty rows back so um there's the 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 task of the actor is to fill that huge space and make everybody feel like they're a part of the experience and the, and it takes energy it takes it takes uh projecting of your thoughts your dreams uh, out into the space. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to me how, how effortlessly and easily our actors are able to just kind of pull it in, you know, do the exact same work, but just pull it in mm-hmm. and, and let the camera kind of take in their performance. And, um, I, I just, I mean, you know, I, I, maybe there's a little bit too much of a proud papa, but, but, but I'm so, I, I I just watch their performances and I just say this is this is as good as any performance I'm I'm watching on Netflix. I mean the, these these guys are are so so great. And what's interesting is you know those people on Netflix they can do the Netflix thing they can do the stuff on camera. But if they came on stage they they, they would be way in over their head because it's it's hard to. Uh, to perform for 700 people. I mean, and get, and have 700 people have a great experience it, live. Um, you know, that just takes, um, you know, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of wherewithal. Um, so it's very hard to go from the, you know, the camera to the stage, but, but I, I've just been amazed how, how seamlessly the transition for the actors have been from, so from stage to camera. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that happened um, during this rehearsal process and you know, also still being new to this, this platform, um, something that maybe you didn't expect or didn't account for before everyone got into the, the virtual room? You know, I think the, bi- the biggest surprise was how, how much lighting matters in, in, in this medium. 
I mean, fortunately, we've had Kevin Rigdon, um, who is a theater um, lighting designer and set designer, but he's also a great photographer. Um, Kevin, I'm, I'm Kevin's, you know, um, colleague and friend and Facebook friend. And being his Facebook friend means I, you know, he loves posting his photographs, mm-hmm. and I'm just always blown away by his photographs and his eye um, for for lighting and images, and and so he's been a great partner in you know getting the getting things framed and getting things shot well, but you know in um, in in film, um, you know the reason actors say, "Oh, I'll, I'll be in my trailer." is because um, they film um, a one-minute scene or a two-minute scene, and then um, they go back to their trailer because it's going to take an hour and a half to get the lighting right for the next shot. You know, it takes a long time. And, and, and that's been true with us, too. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. you know, even though in the theater we're pretty, we're pretty fast on all those things, tech, tech moves really fast. But, um, but, you know, in, in film, it's just, um, you know, even though we have fewer lights in film, but just getting it to be just right so that, um, the two shots are going to balance and they're going to cut together. It just, it just takes a lot of time getting the camera set up, getting the shot. And, and you realize why, um, film is so, um, painstaking and, and, and why, why it takes so long to make a film. Mm-hmm. So let's have a little fun with this next question. If Pirandello were alive today, what do you think his reaction would be to um, this production being done digitally and also this play being done in this moment? Yeah. What do you think he might say? Yeah. Well, that's no, it's a, it's a really great, it's a really great question, uh, because, um, he, he liked film. Um, you know, film was brand new at the time and he, he wrote a novel about, about filmmaking called Shoot. So I think on one hand, he'd be, you know, kind of intrigued and, 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 and excited. And this, um, this play, um, when the BBC started, um, I, I, I think I'm right. I'm pretty sure that this was the first thing that they, oh, well, yeah, you know, because you, I, I know it from you. Um, you are totally this, right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. That this was the first thing that they showed on BBC. So in a way, um, this play is kind of the perfect thing for, for film. It's, it's the most logical uh, thing to be filmed. I think what it what would what on one hand there'd be something strange and familiar to him. Um, on one hand, what would be strange is green screen. Even though we um, we do it, you know, pretty well. Um, I um, I was with my brother in law over the holidays, and um, I showed him on my. You know, he said, "Well, what did?" you know, Rob, what are you doing these days? You know, you can't be doing theater. Are you, are you guys just waiting around? Mm. And I said, Oh, Alex, no, we are so busy. We're, we're, I'm, we're, we're working harder than we ever have. We're working all the time because we're putting out all this digital stuff and we're learning it. We're, we're kind of, you know, starting from scratch. 
And um, here is an, you know, we're, we're doing green screen. And I said, here is an image from um, the stronger, our, our shot of the stronger. And I said, you, and I explained to him, you see, these women are, are, are actors and um, they're standing in front of a green screen and we're projecting um, a, um, a, a Stockholm cafe. And then I switched over and I said, and here's a man with a flower in his mouth. And, um, and Alex said, oh, but so you're doing some things on location. And I said, no, 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 <laughs> this is green screen too. And he said, no, that's not green screen. I said, yeah, it's, it's green screen. They're just in their house. And he said, oh my God. So, so if, if, if I can fool, um, you know, a, a 21st century man, uh, I think Pirandello might see this thing and say, oh, they were, they shot this on location. But, but then, you know, while the technology would be strange to him, I really feel like Erica Greasy and, and, and Michael Loker did a pretty amazing job at hitting the period and hitting um, the, 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 the feel of Sicily. Oh, and, and Bradley Gower is, is our sound designer. And it says that there's a mandolin playing. And she just went to town and found all this great mandolin music. So between the music and the, uh, the, the set backdrop and the costumes, I, I actually think um, Perandella would feel right at home and feel like, oh yeah, this feels like this feels like um, 1920 um, um, Sicily. So, so uh, in that way, I think he'd be like right at home. 